Welcome to Management Matters, the award-winning National Academy of Public Administration podcast where policy meets practice. I'm Terry Gurton, president of the Academy. Each November, the Academy holds its annual conference, and we're excited to be back in person this year, November 1st through the 3rd in Washington, D.C. We've got a great program on tap. In this episode, I'll talk a little bit with some of our key partners about what's on that agenda. Academy Fellow Kathy Newcomer chairs the Arthur Fleming Awards Selection Committee. Academy Fellow Dan Chenek leads the IBM Center for the Business of Government. And the Academy's Director of Fellow Engagement, Caitlin Bloom, will update us on the new class of Academy Fellows. Thank you all for joining me today. So, Kathy, let's start with you. The Academy and George Washington University have partnered for many years to present the Arthur S. Fleming Award, but this is the first year where we're combining them together with the Academy's fall meeting. So tell us first about the fascinating history behind this award. Thank you, Terry. I'm delighted to. I have so much enjoyed my involvement with this award. The Arthur Fleming Award started in 1948. They are the oldest award from outside government for federal leaders. It started because Arthur Fleming, who was already an established federal leader, was speaking and giving a talk at the downtown JCs in Washington, D.C. And they were very impressed. And they said, we'd love to do something to honor you. Could we establish an award? And he said, well, that'd be kind of weird because, you know, have somebody named after a living person. But if if you want to take that risk. So they did. And he said, I'd like it to be to encourage people to go into and stay into federal service. And so the award was basically made for three reasons, to recognize outstanding service, to attract and recruit outstanding talent to public service, and most importantly, to retain the best and the brightest. And so he said, let's have it focused on younger people like at the time, it was under 40. Now we say less than 15 years experience, but that because to award them so that they will stay in. And in fact, there have been amazing award winners whose names you would recognize, like Paul Volcker, Tony Fauci, Jean Dodaro, Liddy Dole at the time, Elizabeth Hanford, Patrick Moynihan, Neil Armstrong. In other words, people that got the award early in their careers who went on to do fabulous things. And that's one of the things that makes this award really unique is that it's focused on mid-career folks. It's not for your lifetime's achievement, right? Exactly. It And it's meant to encourage people to stay. And as you saw by some of the names I gave you, they did. There are a couple other things that make this award very unique. For example, the head of the agency needs to sign off. So nomination goes through an agency and gets that sign off. We have a rigorous three-stage selection process. And another thing that distinguishes this from other awards is that there is a focus on equity. Arthur Fleming served for multiple presidents from FDR through Bill Clinton. Every president, both parties, except for Reagan. But he was throughout his career, both within the federal government, and he also was the president of two or three universities. His focus from here, the 40s on throughout his long career until the late 90s, was also on racial equity. And he demonstrated that concern. So this award is not just, hey, you did a great job, good for you, but also what have you done to address 
inequities. That's another unique aspect. And when people see that as one of the criteria, if you if you just followed what Arthur Fleming had accomplished and his values, you would understand why. Well, the award itself is such a great recognition of people's accomplishment and potential. And we know from past history that many of the folks who receive this award actually go on to become fellows of the National Academy of Public Administration. So it's a lovely partnership here. Tell us about some of this year's awardees. Well, they're pretty incredible. Each year, there's approximately 12. This year, we actually have 13. And the award expanded from the beginning to just the award to now there's awards in multiple categories, such as science, applied science, leadership, legal achievement. But I'm just to give you just kind of a sense of them. For example, from USDA, Dr. Joseph Capobianco is a research materials engineer who is transforming food system safety through his innovative development of groundbreaking technologies that help defend against the risk of tainted food by contaminants by detecting and quantifying microbial contaminants. We have Dr. Sujay Kumar from NASA, who is internationally recognized as the lead developer for a land surface modeling and data assimilation known as the Land Information System, which has been adopted by operational agencies around the world. We have Dr. Corey Love, from the Navy, the U.S. Naval Research Laboratory, whose research in rechargeable battery safety is advancing the Department of Defense's capability for safely employing lithium batteries where the extreme conditions demanded by the military elevate the risk of fire and explosion. Dr. Holly Mortensen, who's at the EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, who has worked on computational tools to, that she has developed are revolutionizing the analysis of how chemicals can lead to adverse health outcomes by disrupting living cells and natural processes at the molecular level. We have Dr. Natalie Peckney, who is at Energy, Department of Energy, and she is an engineer and she has led the energy's critical efforts to mitigate greenhouse gas emissions from oil and natural gas resources. Her groundbreaking research led to the development of mobile monitoring tools to effectively monitor emissions from conventional and unconventional production sites and transmission infrastructure. And as a last one for just to give you a sample from NIST, that's a National Institute of Standards and Technologies within Commerce. Dr. Michael Huber has made novel contributions to quantum information science by introducing structured neutron waves and neutron holography as tools to measure quantum coherence. As you can tell, some of these accomplishments are so complex it's very difficult for me to even understand how to convey other than the fact to say that it's pretty incredible. Now, most of these were in the scientific and applied science. We have others who have been, done wonderful things for government in legal achievement and so on. It's wonderful to hear, even though like you, I don't understand all the technology and science behind holography. But it captures the imagination. These folks are doing the kind of science work that advances 
government programs kind of across everything from health and space exploration to defense and the legal side and the management side, really advancing the national interest and stories that no one else would hear about if it weren't for these awards. So it's so exciting to share them. Yeah, absolutely. And as I mentioned, Equity, social equity, racial equity plays into the criteria for selection. And so not only are all of these winners doing incredible things at the office, so to speak, but they also virtually all of these scientists are, you know, mentoring children, going to science fairs, working in programs within their agencies to promote gender and racial equity. And so they are really following in Arthur Fleming's footsteps in terms of the amazing impact that he made through his very long career from literally FDR to Clinton. And it's just an honor each year to meet these folks. I always try to have our students from the Trachtenberg School over at GW attend these awards to just see the incredible people that have are pursuing public service. They really are paragons that especially junior public servants can look up to. And we're really excited to present the awards to this year's class at the fall meeting. But the nomination window is about to open for the next round of awards. So hopefully we've sparked our readers' interest and they know of folks that should be nominated for next year. Where can they find information about how to nominate a candidate? So the nomination actually is open and it's very easy to get to. All you have to do is search, just say Arthur Fleming Awards at George Washington University. And you will then find the page that gives the history of the awards. And at the bottom, it says nominate for 2023 here. And just hit that button. And it's all electronic uh, in terms of, you know, filling in the the PDF uh, forms and so on. Kathy, thanks so much for sharing a little bit about Arthur Fleming and this award. And we're so excited to partner now for the presentation of the awards at the fall meeting. And I'll look forward to seeing you and all the Arthur Fleming folks there. Thank you so much. I will look forward to it as well. Thank you, Terry. So, Dan, our theme for this year's conference is Grand Challenges and Future Shocks, Preparing Public Administrators for the Future. But this builds on a year's partnership between the Academy and the IBM Center for the Business of Government around this topic. What prompted IBM to start this conversation around future shocks? Well, thanks, Terry. And it's been a really terrific partnership with the Academy, uh, another in our years of of, uh, collaboration together. So, we were coming out of the pandemic working with governments around the U.S. and around the world, kind of pulling together some lessons learned around how governments can could best sort of come out of the pandemic. And we, we framed an agenda around the concept of emerging stronger and more resilient from the pandemic. And from that, we, we started to see that other shocks, you know, cyber, climate, supply chain, were kind of spinning off from the pandemic in terms of their impact and severity. We saw that they were both sort of individually impacting governments, but also there was an interconnection across these different types of what had previously been thought of as sort of different kinds of disasters, and that they needed potentially learning from a set of cross-cutting capabilities. So what could, you know, a cyber response teach to emergency management professionals? What could a a climate resilience response teach to supply chain managers and vice versa? And so we set out on a, a sort of a research program 
And we, the term future shocks came up actually, cause I'm a big Alvin Toffler fan, um, <laughs> uh, as a way to kind of, as a framing device uh, for how do we bring together all of these different strains that are hitting governments and, and an ability to show that there's, there are these points of connection. Well, and as you built out these future shocks, we discovered a really strong interrelationship with the Academy's Grand Challenges agenda. Yeah, that's right. In fact, I think there are six or seven areas where there's a strong point of interface. And in fact, some of the capabilities that we're developing, I think, can address all of the, the Grand Challenges points. But certainly the domains that we looked at in terms of future shocks, we started with cybersecurity, which is you know, a part of the grand challenge uh, with privacy. We we looked at climate as a challenge. We looked at workforce as a as a challenge and, and a domain area where government needs help. We looked at using artificial intelligence more effectively. All of these areas are areas that uh, the grand the grand challenges address, and that we saw that governments really needed help. One of the cross cutting areas that we saw there was a capability that arose in the research was around governance and sort of moving governance into the 21st century. And of course, that's that's yet another grand challenge. So so we really saw that there's a strong connectivity point across these domains that we were doing research on to develop approaches for governments to become stronger and the grand challenges that Napa defined several years ago. And as we worked through this, tell us a little bit about how the project unfolded over the past year and what attendees can expect to hear at the fall meeting. So I'll take the first part first. The way we did the research was to work with the Academy um, and with other international groups um, uh, periodically. The Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development worked with us on several of the meetings. And we developed roundtables with sort of key questions that would help government leaders develop capabilities uh, in the future. And we then brought in a set of experts, leaders from government, experts, researchers from academia, leaders from the nonprofit space, uh, industry uh, experts. And then we identified authors who would listen into those these roundtable discussions and write reports on what they found. And the authors would bring their own capability to the research so that they're not just describing what happened in the in the room, but they're really drawing on research that are available. And, and one of the authors, of course, Chris Mim, not only wrote several of the individual pieces, but wrote a piece that will be released at the fall meeting uh, shortly that I'll talk about in momentarily. From these roundtables, we did blog posts and papers. We also complemented the roundtables in each of these areas, which were cybersecurity, supply chain management, climate action, emergency response, workforce, and then still to be done international collaboration. We combined that with a, a research frame from the IBM Institute for Business Value, which has been our partner in this effort as well, uh, looking at sort of attitudes of government leaders toward shocks and capabilities needed to address those shocks. And then Chris Mim will be kind of bringing all this together in a report that we'll talk about at the meeting. So on the second part of your question, what to expect at the meeting, Chris will present the report. We'll have a panel of leaders that I'll moderate, and those leaders will come from DHS, FEMA, and uh, TSA, as well as the Department of Energy and OMB to talk about connectivity with the president's management agenda. And we'll sort of discuss the implications of the report for, for governments in the future. After the panel, we'll have a global a perspective from IBM's global government leader, Christina Caballé, uh, who's flying in from Madrid for the for the session. And then, of course, in the afternoon, the themes from the future shocks and grand challenges 
discussions will be sort of permeating several of the discussion groups that the Academy will be hosting during the meeting. So we're really excited about the release of this report and the the power of the collaboration that's evolved over the years as, as we've jointly looked at these really challenging issues and the recommendations that people can think about for the future. What's next for the project? So we're looking, of course, at a next phase, and we're thinking about this as future ready. In other words, governments sort of need to get ready for what might come in the future and the capabilities that Chris's report will identify will help governments to develop different capabilities. In fact, I was just out at the Association of State CIOs, the National Association, at a meeting this week, and they did some research around future shocks. And I was on a panel with several state CIOs who are really looking for what are the capabilities that can get us ready uh, for the future. We'll also be working with governments, both those that participated in the roundtables and others, to identify use cases. How can these capabilities work in practice? Where can there where can there be prototypes or pilots that might be developed to go forward so to create an action frame from the report in terms of what, what happens next? We're going to be actually releasing a book that will be in large part uh, draw from uh, future shocks uh, work as well as some re- leading thoughts from about the future of government from experts in the field. And that'll be coming from the Center for the Business of Government on the occasion of our 25th anniversary on December 6th. So that'll be a, a launch, a book launch as well. And then, of course, we're looking forward to continuing to work with the Academy to integrate the lessons learned from this program into uh, the Academy's ongoing work programs, both uh, studies and also uh, standing panels and, and other activities. It's a very exciting agenda. And the thing I love about it is it's centered on public administrators and, you know, outside of whatever political situation they find themselves in, focused on the practical steps to really preparing for the future. So, Dan, thanks so much for being a great partner in in the work. And thanks for sharing a little uh, teaser about it on the podcast today. We'll look forward to seeing the whole thing in just a couple of weeks. That's great, Terry. I look forward to seeing you and, and everybody else at the Napa Fall Meeting. And Caitlin, it's great to have you on the podcast today. You're the Director of Fellows Engagement. So the fall meeting is a big time to gather our fellows from all across the country. What's the big draw for them? Well, thanks for having me, Terry. It's fun to be on uh, a NAPA podcast. The fall meeting this year, uh, it's a time to reconnect with old friends, greet the newest class of fellows, and engage in discussions around challenges in the field of public administration and how we can work towards solutions together. It's one of the few opportunities where our fellows from government, whether it be federal, state, and local, as well as our fellows from academia come together. It's also a time to hear about what the Academy has accomplished over the last year and our plans for 2024. So we hope we'll have a large attendance this year. Well, it is the first time they've been back in person in a while, right? So I know that they're excited about getting back together just for that reason, right? Exactly. (laughs) That's right. Well, tell us a little bit about this year's class of fellows. Yes, I'm very excited about this year's class of fellows. Not only is it a recent record number of fellows at 60 new individuals, it's also our most diverse class of fellows. And not only in terms of demographic diversity, but also in terms of expertise, which of course is very important for the academy uh, as we work towards finding solutions to uh, problems within government. This means more expertise and perspective to provide to our academy studies, to our committees, to our various strategic initiatives. We have several new fellows with expertise in emerging fields where we are seeing more of our academy studies like cyber, 
We have fellows representing state and county government that will expand our geographic diversity, but also our expertise in state and local government, uh, which is, of course, a growing field that we are uh, uh, have among the academy. So we're uh, we're really excited about this year's class of fellows. And, and we're very excited that I believe a majority of them will be in person with us at the fall meeting. We haven't been able to induct them in person in a while. Are we, are we catching up on prior classes too? Well, and I'm glad you brought that up because this year we're actually going to do a shout out to the, the last couple of classes of fellows affectionately known as the the COVID classes, um, but we will do a, a nice celebration of them as well, the 2020, 2021, and 2022 class of fellows. So we're looking forward to seeing all of them in person and getting them to meet each other as well, I know. But circling back, because this is our first in-person conference in three years, what are you doing different with structure this time around? Because it is completely in person, we've been trying out a different formats over the past few years. Uh, So this will look a little bit different than when we held it in 2019 and previous years. This year, we are much more intentional about providing time for connecting. We've included more breaks that provide opportunities for informal networking so people can reconnect and and not just chat, but talk about what they're doing in their fields and, and things like that. Our sessions are going to be more interactive. So we'll be moving away from kind of the traditional panel sessions and towards breakout sessions so we can hear from our attendees. So our various breakout sessions will have a kickoff speaker and a moderator, but we'll spend the majority of the time learning from attendees that are in those sessions. That we'll learn from their perspectives and, and brainstorm together solutions to the challenges posed. Uh, so I'm excited about that. I'll also mention new this year is the Arthur S. Fleming Awards. So typically hosted by George Washington University, the Academy's fall meeting is going to be the 2023 host of these awards. Uh, And they will actually be the kickoff to the fall meeting. So we'll have a reception and then we'll have the Arthur S. Fleming awardees join us for, for a ceremony. And so if you're not familiar with the Arthur S. Fleming Awards, they honor outstanding uh, federal employees Recognized by the President of the United States, agency heads in the private sector, the winners are selected from all areas of federal service. And many of them go on to be fellows as well. That's right. And and, and we uh, are excited that they'll be joining us for the entirety of the fall meeting. I'll also just mention that this year we have an optional Library of Congress tour, which is very exciting. So staff from the, the Kluge Center at the Library of Congress will lead a tour of the Thomas Jefferson Building. It will also include highlights like the main reading room, the Great Hall, the Kluge Center, Mahogany Row, Thomas Jefferson Library, as I mentioned, a copy of the Gutenberg Bible, and the librarian's ceremonial office. So there'll there'll be some other, if not being used, there'll be some other fun, normally off-limits sections that our attendees will be able to tour as well. A little bit of extra incentive to come in person. That's right. (laughs) Well, and speaking of coming in person, the conference is open to the public, right? Absolutely. The conference has always been open to the public. And and every year we encourage uh, the the public to come and join us. If they haven't seen, you can uh, register on our website at napawash.org. There's a a fun pop-up about the fall meeting you'll see there. And if you miss it, you can navigate to the what we do and go to the events section of our website and you'll see the registration there as well. And I I just want to say another fun feature about this year's conference is we will have a conference app. 
So I want to give a shout out to our app sponsor, the University of Kansas. We will have a whole new way for attendees to learn about sessions and connect with each other. It's a fun addition to this year's conference. Well, I know you've got a lot still to do in the three weeks or so till fall meeting time, but Caitlin, thanks so much for sharing some of the highlights with us. And we're all looking forward to seeing the fellows in person just a few weeks. Thanks, Terry. And see you all there. Well, as you've heard, we're excited about this year's gathering, and we hope you'll join us November 1st through the 3rd to participate in our celebration of the Fleming Awardees, meet our new fellows, and engage in the important conversations about how we plan for the future of public administration. We'll put the registration link in the notes, but you can register today at napawash.org. For our listeners, check back every Monday for a new episode from the Academy as we work to build a just, fair, and inclusive government that strengthens communities and protects democracy. Democracy.